Before we dive into today's episode, it's imperative to acknowledge our current reality. If you're listening to this now in June 2020, you know what I'm talking about. If you're listening to this later, this episode was recorded during nationwide and global protests, an uprise against the murder of Black people and police abuse. In recent episodes on social media, I'd promised you something fresh for you to add energy and focus to your everyday life due to the COVID crisis. And right now, though, that does not feel in alignment. Right now, I'm going to hit pause. In my heart, I know that what we need right now is all hands on deck. I am going to use that time to reflect on what needs my own urgent attention in terms of my own learning, where I need to be taking action in support of this movement, as well as examining what changes I can make within my power and within my own business. I want to say thank you for sticking with me in this conversation. It is literally a matter of not just justice and dignity, but one of life and death. Hello, it is 3.30 a.m. in New York, 9.30 a.m. in Johannesburg, and 2.30 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. In Helen Ellis's forthcoming book, on distance grandparenting. She shares, I remember deciding to delay cleaning the glass ranch slider door when my family returned, quote, home. I wanted to retain the knee-high toddler footprints for just a bit longer. When I saw the footprints and sensed my grandson's imagery, presence, my feelings of absence, and emptiness were both heightened and lessened. This passage caught my attention because it sounds exactly like a conversation I had with my own mother, who said that she waited at least a week to clean the sliding glass doors because the handprints of my son were still there. Presence and absence at the same time. These are the realities of distance grandparenting. So Helen, thank you so much for joining us. You are the founder of distancefamilies.com, a researcher, a scholar, writer, and distant grandparent. We are so happy to have you here today on Expat Happy Hour. Thank you, Sandra. It's just lovely to be here and a really special occasion. And thank you for inviting me. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about Helen. Um, so what I love about Helen is Helen is actually not an expat, but she totally gets expat life. I'll tell you a little bit more about her and her family. She and her husband are New Zealanders and Auckland has always been their home. They've got 30 plus years together and in their second marriage together, they created a blended family, each of them bringing to their union a son and a daughter. Helen is younger than Clive, and in the year of their wedding, their, their children turned 21, 20, 5, and 3. Like, what an amazing blended family that is to begin with. 
and they went on to have a family that others would describe as not conventional. These days, our children are in their 50s and 30s. And since early in their marriage, the children have been on the move. That might sound familiar for some of our listeners. One of them um, has lived for months or years or even permanently in any one of these places, England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Sweden, USA, Thailand, Democratic Republic of Congo, Senegal, South Sudan, and Pakistan. Needless to say, they get it, what it feels like to have your family at a distance. And Helen and Clive have told their children, you can do anything. And that's exactly what they did. <laughs> like my mother, Helen, told me that she raised me to be independent. And mm -hmm. uh, she thinks she did too good of a job. I can understand that. <laughs> so tell us more about you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And this is such a unique perspective. I have obviously the biased opinion of a parent right of family at a distance so my my parents are then the grandparents of my children so i see it through the parent lens i'm so mm -hmm. interested in hearing it from the grandparent lens so tell us a little bit more about you and what is your motivation behind your research on this book um i think it starts with the story that when i decided to um just put my career to one side for a while i went back to or well, not back to i went to university for the first time as a mature student and I did a Bachelor of Arts and one of the very last papers I had to do was teaching us to do how to do a research proposal. And we had to pretend that we were going to do our masters and what would we do our research on? I had no idea. All I knew that I felt I knew something about was distance grandparenting. So I suggested that. And my professor who is a distance grandparent herself said that was a fantastic idea. Then I thought, well, let's do a little bit of research here. And I found there was nothing penned by a New Zealand academic on the subject. Goodness me. And roughly 23% of New Zealand grandparents have grandchildren overseas. So this is crazy. Wow. So I figured there was a gap in the market. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, something needed to be done. So I decided I would do my master's and then my topic would be distance grandparenting from a New Zealand standpoint. And, but I also, being a little bit of a productive person, I needed to have a reason why the heck I was doing this. I was taking a year off from any travel. I just want to get this thing done as quickly as possible. Let's not drag it out. And about that time, I started to really plug in to kind of poking around the expat world. And I was listening to podcasts like your own and others and reading books and learning about um, third culture kids, and I started to realize that each generation knew how it was for them, but we all didn't know how it was for the other generations as much as it would be helpful to know. Exactly. So I figured, yeah, I just felt passionately but that by sharing our various experiences, we would each grow in our understanding and have empathy for each other's worlds. It's not going to solve it. Mm -hmm. But we're just going to understand better. So, you know, do the masters, let's get this ticked off. And then I realized that, you know, it wasn't just a book about distance grandparenting, it was another book about being a distance son and daughter, and another one about being a distance grandchild. But my idea is that everybody reads all the books. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. I love that. That This is one thing you and I have talked about. This is not a how-to book, but rather how it is. And by yes. understanding 
the other's perspective that automatically will create um, more empathy and more understanding. And what I love about your approach is if we understand the other perspective, then creatively we will come to find our own solutions, right? You don't need to prescribe solutions. Absolutely. That's it. Yep. So it starts there. Oh, okay. So here, the thing is, is the way I see it, and I I have a hunch, this is um, how you see it too. It's like, if you are a distant grandparent and you feel seen, right? Like Mm -hmm. allowed to be seen in how hard that role is, right? Then you feel um, more willing to be flexible, and to see the other. That's, that's the way I'm guessing, because I feel like when, you know, when I've, I've been a distant parent or daughter, so to speak with my, my children to my, you know, in the relationship to my parents, um, there've been so many times where I've, I've, if I really am honest with myself, I've been in a position where it's like, do you see me? You know, do you see what I do? And one thing I have to give kudos to my parents is that there have been many times where they've said, you know, thank you for calling all this way. We so much appreciate the distance that you make. We so much appreciate the financial investment. And that that need to be seen is so important. And when I when I reflect on it, I don't know how active I have been in truly seeing my parents and their role as distant mm-hmm. grandparents. Yes. Yes. I all right. All- yeah. Mm. Go ahead. So, yeah, I think we all want to be accepted and just be understood a little bit more. And there's so much to be gained, for sure. So tell us, you know, when I looked at, I got a, I was lucky to have a sneak peek at some of your work, and there was three concepts that came out there. There was one of absence, presence, and co-presence. Can you share more about that? The, uh, there is a void. You you can't avoid it. You know, when when you are miles and miles away and your time zone's difference, there is this big gap and you can't escape it. And that is the absence, what's missing, the void. Um, The co-presence is when we can connect via technology and we sort of connect in the cloud. So we have this sort of weird place that we meet and it can be in the form of, you know, text that you leave or the video call. So we have this different types of way that we are present with each other. And we're present with each other in different places. The places of distance familying is not just in your lounge room. You know, it could be, um, it could be in a holiday that where you meet somewhere else and, you know, a central place that you meet and have a holiday or vacation together. It could be in the home of your distance family. It could be in your home. And that place is also when it's empty. The home, your home, you know, we do distance back grandparenting in our empty home with the bedrooms that we walk past all the time that hardly get slept in. Mm -hmm. We do it here as well. So we do it in a full house. We do it in an empty house. We go to visit our kids. We do it in their full house. And this is a, an absence and a presence that keeps on coming and going. And then, you know, you might, especially when the, the family leave, you know, you've got those, the smells of something that's left, that there's a presence of something that's left, like 
like the fingerprints on the glass door. So and it's. You- it totally yeah. caught me. It totally caught me. You you mentioned, you said absence and presence for distant grandparents are either all on or all off. There is rarely mm-hmm. a middle of the road in between us. It can be both joy-filled while exhausting, then hollow and lonely. And I watch my mother do that. I watch, she has this very clean house, right? <laughs> and everything is in its order. And then I come through like a tornado with my two young active boys and everything gets put upside down and it's this whirlwind even for four weeks if you come in the summer and then suddenly we're gone and it's silent and she always talks about the The silence and then she'll find a sock under the bed and then it will bring sadness because it is a reminder of the void and what do you do with the sock put it to your mouth well she puts it to her shrine My mom has like this little shrine of like, you know, when, when she came over to Switzerland, we had the babies and there was like one little, you know, those little, um, the tiny clothes that they wear. She took one of those home and then there's a baby sock and then there's this, (laughs) I think she adds it to her shrine. (laughs) And I bet she doesn't wash it either. No, because she wants to smell it because it smells like boys. That's right. So this, I mean, this is what I mean about seeing I don't, I didn't see this. I mean, obviously I've observed it, but when you named it, I was able to see it. Hmm. And I think what it does is it, in, in um, the communication literature, we talk about emotional labor, how people, let's say, wait, you know, people in the service industry, let's say, uh, who wait tables have emotional labor. They need to act happy and kind, even if they're having a bad day. And that's Mm -hmm. a high emotional labor um, position. And there's, there is emotional labor, I think, being a grandparent, because you need to pretend like you're happy, (laughs) right? Because you are, Mm -hmm. but you're also sad at the same time or overwhelmed or needing space or, or, or say more. What do you know from your research? What have you noticed? Um, I've noticed that everybody has to come to a place of distance grandparents. They, everybody mentions that they need to get to a place of acceptance. Hmm. And I describe it, and this is a really crass comparison, but it's like telling your kids they have to eat their veggies. You don't have to like them. You just have to eat them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like distance grandparenting. You don't have to like the fact that this is what's happened in your world. You just have to accept it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what your kids want. They don't want you upset all the time. So you need to come to a place of acceptance. And that's what I found. That was a consistent finding all the time. We just have to accept. Sometimes it's, you know, two steps forward and one step back. And and then things happen in the world like they have just recently. And, oh, my goodness, this is pretty tricky. And But that is that is the, the, the key finding is that you have to come to a place of, of, of acceptance and start. And once you've got there... Like you said before, you can then get to a place of being a little bit more creative because you're not resenting. You're going, okay, well, how can we make this work? You know, what's the best time of the day to ring you? And let's get some systems and that sort of thing. And you feel like you've maybe got a little bit of control, you know, on this 
thing that's been thrown at you. That's great. Yeah. I remember the moment that um, I watched my parents come to more acceptance about us being abroad. We were mm -hmm. at my sister's wedding in Puerto Rico and my parents were talking to their best friends from, you know, ages ago, since I was born. And they they said to my parents, you don't know how lucky you are because you get to spend so much time with your grandkids. And they said, what do you mean? Your grandkids live in the United States and so do you. And they said, our, our kids only come with the grandkids every once in a while for a birthday or a quick weekend. They don't get to spend four weeks with us. And it was mm -hmm. that aha moment of, I think for mm -hmm. my parents of realizing actually the fact that we were abroad enabled us to actually spend more intensive, intimate time together than had we lived in the same state. That's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Let's talk about now because, you know, this recording is done at the very start of June 2020 after we're watching, you know, protests go down in the United States and people are, you know, we're dealing with COVID, um, there's so much going on in the world right now that is that is unnerving and disruptive and our hearts are aching and when that happens we want to be with our loved ones so say more about how how world events like now impact maybe you personally as a distance grandparent or the, those that you've done your research with uh, I think right now, um, I can certainly speak from my own perspective. Um, we have one uh, in the UK who is pretty safe. and But I have my son and my daughter live in the States. So my son is in Chicago and he is 400 yards from the barrier where they've closed off the city. And it's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. And my daughter is in Atlanta and she works for the Centers for Disease Control. So... We've had a very interesting connection. Yeah. So um, I spoke with my son this morning, and uh, he's a pretty tough cookie, really. But he, he was he was pretty put out, I'd have to say. Yeah. Um, you know, we even started, you know, not talking about him coming back to New Zealand, but you know, he's he's engaged to a lovely American girl. But even, I mean, he could physically come back. New Zealand, is, New Zealand is letting in New Zealanders if they come back, if they can get a flight and they can pay the money. But his fiance could not come back. Um, she would not be allowed here and she's visited here. So it's, it's pretty, pretty confusing. They're getting engaged in June next year. Um, we have no idea if we'll get to the wedding. And my daughter in Atlanta and her little kids are already booked and have been booked to come and visit us at Christmas time. Coming home for Christmas to New Zealand in our summer is a big deal. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to happen. Right. So, you know, we none of us in this world of distance families know when we are going to see our family face to face. Yeah, I'm with you. Now. I'm with you. My parents, I'm supposed to come. I'm, I actually should be on an airplane this Friday and I'm not getting on that airplane. Um, to see my family, which I've done every year. I mean, for the last 21 years, I only have missed once or twice because I was too pregnant to fly. Mm. Um, and my parents are supposed to be coming to South Africa this Christmas. So our summer in South Africa. And that doesn't feel, I don't know, it doesn't feel very likely. And here is the thing I think is 
we all agree to this distance parenting and distance grandparenting business because we can hop on an airplane, mm. right? Well, those of us who have enough we can. Uh, resources and privilege, I, there are many, many families mm. like I know in, for example, in West Africa, who once you go, you can't really come back unless you, you know, maybe once every 10 years. So not everybody has that privilege um, or access, but the many expats on our rotational um, assignments through the corporation or through their ministry have that ability to see their family regularly and predictably. And when that's taken away from you, um, it kind of makes you wonder whether all of this is worth it. I, I think that's a very relevant point. Um, you know, my reward for doing my master's, you know, we said we're not going to do, we had no travel in 2019. That's not like us. My reward was as, hand in that thesis and get on a plane and we were booked to go and see our family in the States on the 27th of March. That was not a good day. Right. <laughs> and then our son was due to come down afterwards. So, you know, everything's up in the air. And um, I think it would be absolutely right to question, is this really a good idea? And, and maybe people will make some changes in the way they think about the future and whether they want to continue. Well, for me, I'm, I'm someone who says, let's live abroad without regret. So for me, what, I'm, what I really focus on is how do we, how do, we do this you know, with the current limitations? How do we do this without regret? And, and what we do have control over, right, is how we connect with the technological means that we have until we can see each other, right? So we had, oh, I had a Zoom call with my, my nuclear family, right? My mother and my father, my sister, my brother. And it was hysterical because I've never been on a Zoom call with my family before. For me, Zoom is always work-related, so it was really yes. fun. It was a new memory to make, right? It was a new memory yes. to make. Yes. So I want to just touch on a couple other themes. Um, I, I just want to reiterate, even though it's hard, I think we have control over how we show up during these unusual circumstances. This is temporary, not long-term. And I'm committed to, to finding a way um, to make it work. Um, and I want to also at the same time acknowledge that it's hard. So yes. I, I'm curious to hear from you. You know, one of the things that I've noticed with, with my own family is there is this desire to know that they're not forgotten. So for example, you know, my mother will say, do, do the boys ever ask about me or do they ever talk about us? Or even when they were younger, they would, they would wonder if, you know, do they know who grandma and grandpa are? And it's honestly, it's always been a resounding yes, but I've noticed a, you know, desire to not be forgotten or a desire to be known. Do you see that with other people in your research? Uh, it wasn't something that really jumped out. Um, and uh, one of the reasons was that just the way it ended up, um, a good number of my participants were actually very new to the distance grandparenting thing, and they had babies and toddlers at the other side of the world. So that's a different kind of connection when they're so young. And then others had older ones, and once they're older, you know that they're thinking about you mm -hmm. and we've got some proof about it. So it wasn't something that came out really, but I could quite understand it. I mean, I, I, you know, my daughter, for example, will dial up and I'll be there with her three and five year old. And I come on, on the, on the phone and, and they get the grandparents mixed up and they call me 
the other the other grandmother you know and i don't have any problem with that you know that's okay not a problem um the poor kids you know they they're talking with these phones all the time and um so no i i i don't have that feeling myself because i just think it is what it is it is what it is. And the more that we can connect, the more that we can have those face-to-face in-person times. Once you've, once you've got a, a toddler that's been in your home or they've been, you've been in their home, they don't forget you. They'll, they'll never forget you. So if you keep working at it, they don't forget you. But they probably don't bring you up in the conversations very much. And that's, that's just the way it is. Yeah. I've just noticed with my kids that when we have that intense interaction for four weeks in summer it's like deeply embedded in my boys and they talk about grandma and grandpa all the time but it's the quality of that experience that enters deep into them um and that's where i i retain confidence and you know we we had for a while we were living near one set of grandparents and away from another set and they they're just different they love them both right both sets they just engage differently right and the kids they're not, they're not holding back love because of the way that they're engaged with. They're ju- they, just, they just accept it as it is. So there's a theme of acceptance that I'm seeing here um, from the child side and from the grandparent side. I have a hunch that it's hard for the parent um, to, to accept something. So here's what I'm, I see um, it with my clients is there's some resentment when they're always the one going to the grandparents and um, <clears throat> the, it's the grandparents that have maybe more money or more time than the dual working parents with their small children. So there is some resentment that comes up with parents saying, I wish that the grandma and grandpa would come to us more. Um, why aren't they coming to us more? I don't know if you've, if you've learned that in your research at all, if that's a thing that you see too. I, 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 I'm not an expert at this yet, but I think there might be something cultural there. Mm-hmm. The New Zealanders, because we live so far away from the rest of the world, traveling is in our DNA. Mm-hmm. We all travel. So, you know, all my grandparents traveled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, when I mix with distance grandparents, conversations are about, you know, frequent flyer programs and, you know, noise-canceling headphones and, you know, <laughs> this sort of thing. So we, New Zealanders, fly a lot. So that is absolutely not we, – we do more trips than our kids do. Mm-hmm. Right. right. That so makes total it, sense. Mm. So people who are from an area where they expect you travel within your country, but not outside of your country are expect, they're like, you're the ones who left. So you come to see us. So it could be a mindset around what is normal travel. And possibly um, all the ones, people that I researched that all their children were in regular Western countries as in England, America, Germany. So they weren't going to potentially dangerous destinations that maybe expats who are involved in NGOs or other humanitarian aid work or could be in less appealing destinations for people who maybe don't travel that well Mm -hmm. or aren't well traveled. And it feels very daunting to them. Um, yeah, as New Zealanders, as a bunch, we will get on a plane. When I, and as an example, when I owned a, a travel company for 
um, 11 years. Well, I've been in the travel industry for a long time, but I had my own business for quite a long time. And it was through the time of 9-11 and SARS and foot and mouth and England. I mean, just one problem after another. And it was always the New Zealanders and Australians and the South Africans who got on the plane cricket. You know, when, when everything happened and everybody stopped and started cancelling, it was that, those cultures that got on the plane first mm-hmm. and said, oh, stuff, we're going, you know. So there could be something cultural here as to the direction. And maybe it could also relate to whether the positions that the sons and daughters hold are ones that provide travel back in the Northern Hemisphere summer. It's part of the deal, Right. Uh, well, I think it goes yeah. back to understanding too, to what we talked about in the beginning. So for example, for me to live in West Africa or South Africa or Switzerland, it hasn't been a huge paradigm shift, but for my parents, you know, that was kind of mind blowing. So when I think from my perspective, you know, let's live anywhere on the planet as long as I have Wi-Fi and my kids will be, you know, relatively safe. It's different from maybe my parents' paradigm. So I think it goes back to understanding, you know, to see where they're coming from um, Mm -hmm. and get that maybe this is a huge paradigm shift. That one of the things is I've been abroad for 21 years. So what feels normal to me might feel... Uh, like a big stretch for other people. Absolutely. They are, they're so out of their comfort zone. They would be miserable because they're so out of their comfort zone. Well, and I don't know if this is true. This could be a stereotype, but I noticed for myself as I've aged, you know, when I was 20, I would jump from a cliff, you know, into water, right? And wouldn't hesitate about it. But now I'm in my 40s. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Like I'm more risk averse. I don't know if that, if it's, it has to do with also risk aversion about doing something new, if that also plays a role. Definitely. Um, Yeah. So I'm just curious. There's one other thing that's kind of on my mind and that I've noticed from my clients and it's whose responsibility is it to, to navigate the relationships with the grandchildren? I feel like there's one camp, like one camp is, listen, it's, they're your grandkids. If you want a relationship with them, you make an effort. And then there's this other camp, which says, I'm the one who is in between the grandparents and the grandchild. So it's my job to navigate that relationship. I'm curious what you've learned from the people that you've interviewed, how they see their responsibility to connect. Well, the grandparents, absolutely see that they have a responsibility to be the best grandparents that you can possibly be given the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And my experience is that they will move mountains to do that. It is very important for the middle generation to realize that they are the ones that make it possible. They're the gate openers. Mm -hmm. Or the gatekeepers. Okay. And, you know, we would be on the phone every day if it was convenient or the time zones worked or whatever. We will rearrange our life. We will get up early because that's the time you need to come. We will go to bed late and talk on the phone. But if the, other, if the, the family is, you know, busy doing what they're doing and it can't be managed, well, then we can't connect. So... Um, I suppose from a New Zealander's perspective, we're willing to get in a plane, assuming we're not too old, you know, mm. we're willing to get in a plane, we're willing to spend the money if we can, can afford it, we will go and visit. Um, 
But if the, keeping that communication up in between, yes, we want to do it, but we need the middle generation to make it feasible. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing, are you a gate opener or a gatekeeper? Um, yeah. I know from my clients that they're trying to keep a gate open, but see some rigidity in their grand, the grandparents' schedules and routines to walk through that open door. So I know that there's there's two sides of that, depending on um, the family and, of, of course, the culture, time zones, all of those things. Um, yes. But it's interesting conversation. I think, it, I, I mean, I don't know. You said your, your work is around presenting what is rather than how to. But I'm just yes. curious if we can explore a little bit um, based on what you know. You know, what do you, th- maybe there are some kernels of learning here on how. Um, mm. What do you think? every grandparent um, wishes the parent knew about grandparenting at a distance? Um, that there's a big grief. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of grief that you go through to make that adjustment. Um, and, and to just keep working at it, to be positive about working at it and remember them and mm-hmm. put them in the routine so that connections can be made. Because... You know, depending on where the distance is between the families, time zones can be incredibly, incredibly imposing. They, mm-hmm. they can mm-hmm. just, you know, if you're only an hour difference or whatever, I mean, you can't, you can't compare a distance family experience when you've only got a couple of hours difference in the time zone. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, um, but when you've got a big distance, it takes work. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's important to realize that there is a grief, there's a loss. Um, and, and actually there was, there was one, something that um, one of my uh, participants said to me, and I thought it was an amazing line. They're, they live here, obviously, and they are a bit too old, older to, to travel now. It's just, just too hard for them, but they have traveled an awful lot and their family live in Germany. And their son in Germany and their daughter-in-law, this is important, and their German daughter-in-law, always say to my, my couple here, mum and dad, there will always be money for an airfare. And what they mean by that is if, if something's happening at home in New Zealand and you need us and mm-hmm. you're not well, we will find that airfare. So I guess if, to answer your question, what would you love them to know on reflection, I thought, golly, you know, if anyone's living overseas and they could say to their mum and dad, there'll always be an airfare. We'll always find it. That's a really powerful thing, a very, very comforting thing to say to their parents. Mm-hmm. And obviously for some people, they could not make that statement, but it's made on the basis of somehow we'll figure it out, stick it on the credit card or whatever, we will be there for you. And I think to answer your question, what would be something you would love to say to them? And I think that would be it. Yeah, that's powerful. It's basically saying you're so important to us. We will find a way. We will find a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What other sort of insight do you have? Um, Maybe even surprises that came up from the research that you can offer to help this connection stay strong i kind of see it like a chain right you've got the grandparents that are linked to the parents and that are linked to the grandchildren 
any yes. ideas on how to keep that connection strong from any direction? Um, one I could suggest, and this is from my personal experience, and it definitely came out in my research, and, what, and it's what I call alone time is the greatest gift. Yeah. When you are distance families, you know, you get on Skype or whatever and there's a whole crowd of you in the room and there's kids screaming and it's very noisy and you do your best to say hello, you know, and or even when you, you are together and you visit and they come and visit you or you go and visit them, there's this dynamics, there's kids, there's people, you're all together. What the grandparents really, really crave is one-on-one -on -one time. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if whether it's their daughter, their son, their daughter-in-law, their son-in-law, each grandchild, just occasions where they could just be with them. Mm -hmm. Because if you, you have to take it back to the, the experience that they're probably having back at home, where maybe they do have grandparents or grandchildren, I should say, down the road, and... I mean, I have a granddaughter here and I'm, you know, often I'll get asked, oh, could you pick her up from school or drop her here or drop her there or whatever? No problem. We have fabulous time in the car, have mm -hmm. great conversations. I don't get that with my teenage grandchildren overseas because when we visit, there's a whole bunch of us and we're all in the house together and there's that dynamics. So I think working on having one-on-one -on -one conversations. So when there are little toddlers actually giving up that time once you've got those kids in bed and devoting it to your mum or your dad and ringing and giving them that time just a really good chat because it's so different mm -hmm, totally my totally. kids actually i will be in the airplane we haven't even landed yet and my kids will go mom when are you going on your business trip so we can be with grandma and grandpa yeah. Like they are hungry for it too. They want that. In, they want that attention. They don't want mom to like put in all the rules and limits. <laughs> they want to be spoiled. And all of them just want me to get, they just want me to get out of the house <laughs> so they can be with each other. So I love that. So just taking that to the awareness on the one-to-one -one level, whether it's, you know, parent to grandparent, grandchild to um, grandparent, whatever dynamic that is, creating an opportunity to be one-to-one. -one. I think that's wonderful. So I know that our time is coming short, um, but I want people to know where they can find you and how they can help in your research. So the, what we do know is we can go to distantfamilies.com. That will be in the show notes as well. But how can we find out more? Um, or how can we help with your research project? Well, I have an unusual request. I am asking distance families, all the generations, the grandparents, the sons and daughters, and the grandchildren, I'm asking for your stories. And I know that's a big ask. But the reason that I want to do that, I want to get your stories, is it's through stories that we learn and we understand. And I want to, this to be a global book. I want everybody from all over the place so on my website, I am asking for your stories. And right now, the first book I'm working on, I mean, I'm working all, on all three books at the same time, but right now I'm particularly focused on the distance grandparenting book. And I'm going to be setting up on my website some Zoom conversations that your parents who, who are listening can plug into. And we can have a great conversation. I've set it up with different time zones and they can dive in, as I've said, 
and meet some new people, meet some people from around the world and just share your experiences. And that's a way that with their permission, I can maybe share some of those stories if they're happy about that. So that's a new initiative that's happening right now and you'll be able to find that on the website. So I welcome stories, I welcome connections, I welcome dialing someone up anywhere to have a chat, I welcome someone sending their own stories and then we can really produce some, some diverse conversations in these books. That's wonderful. I know I've got some grannies in my group <laughs> who've asked me, hey, you always talk about parenting. What about grandparenting? So they're going to be really happy to hear this. Um, and lots and lots of parents in this group. So I think the parent and grandparent um, approach can be reached through Expat Happy Hour. So if you're a parent, forward this podcast to the grandparents so that they can feel seen and heard and you can create a dialogue around your experience and listen to theirs. Um, if you're a grandparent, consider the opportunity of taking part of this research so that you can add your story and expand that awareness and keep the conversation going. So more of that, I'll put the link on the show notes. Helen, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I think this is a topic we don't talk about. I think people hold this in their heart, sometimes with resentment, sometimes with uncertainty. And um, what, what I'm taking away from our conversation today is to create more space for acceptance and understanding so that we can find more creative strategies. Absolutely. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I've really enjoyed it and it's been terrific. It's wonderful having you. Everybody, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Schneider Bean. Thank you for listening. All right, I'll leave you with a quote that I found around grandparents that resonated from the perspective, I think, of my own children. The anonymous quote is, grandparents are like stars. You don't always see them, but you know they're there. Ha <laughs> ha!